You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. I have some things prepared, but I thought we'd start with a confession. Is that good? Um, I speak at my church regularly. I sometimes teach at the university. I speak at other church events. I come and speak here. I speak and teach. Uh, and I love it. I really do. But every time I do, I'm a little bit afraid. And I'm not afraid for myself. I mean, I have prepared. I have wonderful, I think, things to say and beautiful <laughs> pictures. And it's all in the scriptures. But the thing I'm a tiny bit afraid of is that I won't give you something to eat. That you really go away and say, well, that was cool, or I learned something, I laughed, I cried. It was like seeing a good movie. But you didn't eat Jesus. And that's always my little bit of the fear, that I came and I did a really good job, but I failed to show people Jesus. So I'd like us just to take a minute and make some space in our hearts. You know, before you eat a meal, you make sure you have a little bit of space. Or before you go into a classroom, you make sure you have a little bit of space in your mind. Can we just take a minute and make a little bit of space for Jesus? So Jesus, we welcome you here. We invite you here. We know you are already here present, waiting for us to come to your table. But we take a minute to prepare our hearts to make some space so that we can be fed by you. Come and be our meat, Jesus. Be our bread. Teach us and fill us and transform us. I ask that you'd feed every single person here the food that they need today. We come to you, and only you. You are the source. Thank you that you always have more than enough. So we receive from you today, Jesus. From your abundant generosity, we receive. Thank you. I suppose that's the series you're doing. <laughs> and we'll do some more. So today I'm speaking um, from John 1, verses 6 to 8. And just to give you a little bit of heads up, what the plan is, God can do whatever God wants. So if God's doing something with you that's a little different than what I'm doing up here, that's totally fine. But I'm going to start with a test. It's okay. You can all pass this test. But we're going to start with a little test, if that's okay. Uh, then we're going to do a little Greek lesson. We're going to go over some Greek words. Yay! <laughs> then I'm going to ask you a question. But it's not, 
but it's not a test. The test came earlier. Then I'll ask, ask you a question that we'll think about together, and then I'm going to um, offer a metaphor as a way of answering or thinking about that question. And then we'll have communion. Does that sound good? Enlightened. We're kind of going to look at that in a few different ways, and the first one being a test. So I know that's a bit tiny for me. How about for you? You're good? So the test is, what does this tell us about? Here's the scripture, only three short verses that we're looking at today. There came a man commissioned and sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in Christ, the light, through him. John was not the light, but came to testify about the light. So what do these three short little verses, you know before that, you probably heard about that last week, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then after that, it'll talk about and the word was made flesh and came to dwell among us. But sandwiched in between here, those two things about Jesus and the word and the word made flesh is this little section about John. So we're just going to talk about John a little bit. But what are these three little verses? Just think a bit for a minute. What does this tell us about God? You can answer. I do have answers prepared, but really. What does it tell us about God? Because sometimes we think, oh, what does this say about John? But I'm asking you, what does this tell us about God? Sorry? He has a plan? Okay. And how would you know that? There you go. God sends. The word there is apostello, where we get the word apostle, which just means we're sent by God, people sent by God. God sends. God's ascending God. Okay, good. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. The metaphor of light comes in really strong, and that's one of the themes that we're going to pick up on. God is light. Yes? Yes. Let's see if that's up there. God wants to communicate. He sent someone as a witness, as a testimony. Though God, this is interesting, though God could communicate directly, God could just beam down information and revelation to every single one of us right now. Boom. Done. No need to have a messenger. But somehow God chooses to communicate through messengers. Why is that? It's not that efficient. And where I am not as good a communicator... And I'm sorry, neither are any of you as good as God himself is. But yet, this is what God says. This is how I wish to communicate. It says something about God. God does not introduce Jesus, the light, immediately. 
and said, here's Jesus, bam, there you go, world. He says, I'm going to send someone to testify about him first, to prepare the way for him first. Again, rather inefficient, or is it? Tells us something about God. Also, messengers do not draw attention to themselves, but to the subject of their message. Which is kind of what my confession was about saying. John's saying here, I'm not the light, I'm here to testify about the light. And my fear is always that people will look at me, or my fancy something, and not see the light. So you did very well on that test with some help. So let's do a little Greek lesson. So the first one is the word phos. We can all say that together, phos. It's similar like the French, isn't it? Phos is some of the, anyway. Don't trust me in my French. Uh, so it means light. And means light in many different ways, but here it's talking about the source of light, radiance to shine. Sometimes you read that word glory a lot in the Bible, and the scriptures, has relation to this, this word as well, about being glorious and shining. Pure, brilliant quality. If you think about light, the purest light, it, you can't even look at it for a long period of time. It's so pure and brilliant. And here, light is being used, as Matt said, as a kind of a metaphor for God. And why is that? Because the manifestation of God's self-existence, existent life is pure and brilliant and a source of light and life and radiant and it radiates and shines. There's just so many qualities of light when you think about God's self-existent life. You're going, yeah, that helps me understand it. And also referring to divine illumination to reveal. Light reveals things. The psalmist says in Psalm 38, in your light we see light. If we turned off, well, if it was midnight and we turned off all the lights and all of Montreal turned off all the lights, we wouldn't be able to see much because we need light to see things. So divine illumination reveals and imparts life, especially through Christ. So Christ coming as a light Something is being revealed about our lives, not just about God, but about us and this whole relationship. So let's go see another word, martureo, which means witness. This is actually used three times in these verses. I know it's tiny, but can you figure out where those three times are that the word martureo is used? Witness. The man came as a witness. There you go. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's in the front row for a reason. The man <laughs> came as a witness, because he, then he can read it. Uh, came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in Christ, the light through him. John was not the light, but came to testify. Same word, martyreo, testify or witness. I don't, we don't usually use that word a whole lot. We go, I'm going to testify. Well, sometimes we do, but... Uh, or a witness, we think of it mostly in a legal sense. But to testify, to commend, to speak well of, to vouch for. So Michael said, if you, none of you, if you have not met me before, Michael said, I vouch for Matt. I'm a witness for Matt. I speak on her behalf. She can come and speak to my community in my absence. That's a big uh, show of trust. 
He witnesses he, on my behalf. To bear witness, um, to be a witness. So martyr, which is where this word uh, comes from, martyreo, has come to mean to bear witness with your death or in your body. So if you believe something, something is so much a part of you that you say, I will bear witness to that with my life, by giving my life. That's what kind of a witness I will be. So you're actually witnessing to something when you're a martyr, as we use that word today. To affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something. And we can all do that. We can all witness. If I can say, testify what God is up to in your life. Hopefully we've all seen or heard or experienced something. We should be able to testify our witness to that. And this is what John is doing. John's saying, I am here to witness, to be a witness, to testify to something. To give and not keep back testimony. So if you're called as a witness in court and you say, I don't think I want to do that, well, then you're not a witness. Then you're not giving testimony. You can't keep it back. You can't just have an internal testimony. And that's something you're doing this pat next weekend, I think, is a testimony, a witness, has to be externalized. And now our two last words, peri and dia. Yay. Around and through. Prepositions. If you've ever learned another language, the most, one of the most difficult things to get right in another language are those pesky prepositions. I still don't get the French ones right. Some, mostly I get the English ones right, but even not. So these are two interesting ones, peri and dia. Can anyone find them around and through? It's, I, I know it's tricky because they're sometimes uh, translated slightly different. So, uh, peri, about, testify about the light. So, peri, perimeter, is the perimeter of the room. Um, and through, that one's a little easier. Through him, dia. So, if you have the diameter of a circle, that would be cut right through the middle of the circle. So, peri and dia. Sounds like a couple, doesn't it? Let's go to Perry and Diaz for supper. Okay. So Perry means around, concerning, properly, which is why you can do this word about, testify about, properly about someone, all around, on every side, encompassing, full and comprehensive. So this is really trying to get our arms around something, figure out, testify. So John wants to testify about the light saying, I want to show you something, a fuller understanding of this light. So you can get your, kind of get your mind and your heart around it. And dia, meaning through, by the instrumentality of. And I really like this part. It's taking something successfully across to the other side. So John's, when John says, he says later, I must decrease and Christ must increase, saying, I want people to successfully come across to the other side so that they don't just stick with me and my message of repentance, the kingdom of God is at hand, I want to successfully bring them through and across to the other side where I'm, I'm out of the picture and it doesn't matter. I've brought them across to Jesus who is the light. Isn't that a great picture? To bring someone successfully across to the other side. So that, that was the... Greek lesson, and now we're going to the question that we're kind of pondering, which is kind of the central question that I'm asking this morning. 
How do you testify about the light? How did John testify about the light? You can... You can. By sharing the good news, yeah. His good news was actually uh, inter- uh, strong good news, but it was good news. His good news was repentance, meaning like change your ways, people. So, I mean, we don't have too many uh, preachers that do that these ways. I don't usually get up and say, change your ways, people, come on. Anybody here want to change their ways? Come up here and we're just going to baptize everyone, which is based on the uh, ancient Jewish purification rites in the temple, which means you walk through the water. You walk in dirty on one side, and you come out on the other side, and you have been cleansed by the water of God. But he's saying something has to change in how we relate to God, because it's not working. The kingdom of God, where God rules, where everything happens the way God wants it to, is right at hand. It is near us right now. So this is how John testified to the light. But there's different ways to testify to the light. I read something last night from, my, from Don Miller. He said, we are a little sliver of glass in a stained glass window. We are not the whole, and we are not the light. And this reminded me very much of this John saying, I'm not the light. I'm a little tiny sliver here. So here we have a picture of stained glass of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And there's many, many parts to this picture. And you need them all together to understand what the picture is. But most of all, you need the light behind this picture to be able to see what's even happening. So that's the metaphor I want to use. I want to use the metaphor of stained glass, about testifying. So this morning, we were going to call on the stained glass. We have none in these windows, but we're going to call on the stained glass to teach us how to testify. So stained glass, um, before I do that, my friend Tracy is a person who, work, who does glass work. Right now she does fused glass, mostly because this is a little bit too toxic. Uh, works with lead and things like that. Uh, but she made this. This is a personalized piece of stained glass that she made for myself and Dean. Uh, so it represents both of us, if you can see it. There's a D, there's an M, there's a drum, there's keyboards, and our favorite colors. Now, this is not in a window, so it actually looks pretty dull. There's a little bit of light coming through. But if you put it up to a window to a light, it changes. To, see the, to actually see the beauty of stained glass, you have to put it up to a bright light. So I'm going to pass it around, and you can do it and try it with light. So stained glass, what is stained glass? Just a quick lesson in stained glass. Stained glass is glass that has been colored by adding metallic salts during its manufacture. So... They were supposed to come up one at a time, but they didn't, so that's fine. So here's all the different, uh, some of the different colors. Uh, Yellow, sodium chromate, orange, potassium dichromate, red, mauve, blue, purple, green. 
Um, most minerals and inorganic pigments, as well as many synthetic organic dyes, are salts. I never knew that. Did you know that? I, you did? Smarty pants. <laughs> the color of the specific salt is due to the electronic structure in the d orbitals, of course, of transition elements or in the conjugated organic dye framework. Yeah, well, of course, it's obvious. So anyway, colors are based on salts, which I thought was so interesting, because very often we have this combination of salt and light when we read and when Jesus is speaking at the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's talking about salt and light. And I always thought of salt, well, salt uh, as being a flavoring agent or a preserving agent, because in those days they didn't have the refrigerator, so they would add salt to their meats to cure them so that they would last uh, long enough so that they could eat them and things wouldn't spoil. So it's a ta uh, it tastes, I love salt. Salt tastes good. So it's something to add flavor and to preserve your food as well so it doesn't spoil. But I did not know that salt is also a coloring agent. So not only does salt add taste and help your food not go bad, it adds color. And so let's read this thinking about, oh yeah, they're going right there, right for the real light. So let's read this thinking about, and again, the original intent of, of this scripture would, would have been for flavor and preservation. But I think you can extrapolate a bit from that meaning, say, there's add, it's about adding color as well. And this is Jesus talking. You, beloved, are the salt of the earth. You add color and beauty when the light shines through you. You add salt, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt becomes bland and loses its saltiness, can anything make it salty again? No, it is useless. It is tossed out, thrown away, or trampled. If suddenly all the color went out of that stained glass, it would just be a piece of glass. You'd go, well, that's not very interesting. Salt, color. And you, beloved, are the light of the world. Now, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But something about being in contact with Jesus illumines us. And we become illumined as well. We become mini lights. And you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. Similarly, it would be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk or a chair, and the light illumines the entire house. You are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go, that you may illumine creation, so men and women everywhere may see your good actions, may see creation at its fullest, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. So there's this idea of color and light coming together so that people are brought through to see and praise our Father in heaven because of it. Isn't that cool? I, I like that. A little more about stained glass. Here we have a Trappist monk. He is uh, putting some glass in, in a kiln and someone cutting up pieces of stained glass and someone putting together pieces of stained glass. So to adjust the color and the texture of the glass, and actually to do is fused glasses, which is what my friend does now. She makes jewelry out of all kinds of fused glass. Special paint is applied and heat, where you can put glasses, to, different pieces of glass together, and heated to a very high heat, around 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hotter than a Montreal summer, with humidity factored in. That's just very, very hot. But there's something about heat 
that enhances the beauty and the color of the glass. Small pieces of glass are cut and arranged to form patterns or pictures, and then they're held together by strips of lead, you can see in that. So if she's preparing that, she first draws a pattern, then she cuts all the pieces apart, then she folds uh, little foils over each and every edge, and then she solders them all together, and they have to fit perfectly, and each piece has to touch the other piece. If it didn't, the whole thing would fall apart. And then they're supported by a rigid frame so that it holds its shape. So working in stained glass, you almost have to be an engineer to actually be able to envision. If you think of, I mean, this is a small piece. If you think of some of the, you've been to Notre Dame Basilica, or you've been to St. Joseph's, those huge, huge pieces of stained glass, you need to be an engineer to know that this will all work together, this will all hold together, and it'll withstand the weight of its own height. It'll fit in this particular window frame and it'll withstand weather and rain and wind and snow and sleet and all of that. And grubby fingers grabbing it as well. So it's like you're building a structure in some ways. So I don't know if you're thinking ahead, already thinking, well, how, how does this relate to us? Heat, hmm, being cut into tiny little pieces, being fit together, hmm. Oh, you guys know. So heat and radiance, again, heat and glory, heat and light, so closely related. And yet, in our lives, we would like a lot of light, very little heat, or fire. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test you, that is, to test the quality of your faith, as though something strange or unusual were happening to you. This is normal. This is how you make beautiful pieces of glass. But insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, keep on rejoicing so that when his glory, filled with his radiance and splendor, again, all these words that relate to light and, and glory and radiance, is revealed, you may rejoice with great joy. There is some heat and trial and sharp knives involved in making something beautiful like that. So if we are reflecting the light of Jesus, that's what's involved in making us beautiful too. Join together piece by piece. From, from him, Christ, the whole body. And here it's talking the metaphor of actual physical body. And I'm kind of using it to say, let's think about it, uh, yes, as the physical body. But let's stretch that metaphor a bit and use it to think about pieces of stained glass being put together to make a work of art. The whole body, the church in all its various parts, joined and knitted together, firmly together, by what every joint supplies. You can't make a piece of stained glass where all the pieces of stained glass say, I want to be at least a foot away from that other piece of stained glass. <laughs> Not too fond of that reddish color. You can't do that. The pieces have to be one right up against the other. That's where the strength is. Each part working properly causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up into unselfish love. This is part of how the body, the church of Jesus works. We are fit together piece by piece. And I don't get to decide which piece I am in that stained glass. The engineer, the master artist decides which piece goes where because he knows what he's building.
So stained glass, the purpose of stained glass windows, especially in churches, is not to show us the outside world. So if you're in a church and you have stained glass windows, you can't see the people walking by outside. That's not the purpose of stained glass. The purpose is not to admit pure light, as in here, we just have plain glass, admit as much light as possible just through that pure glass. That's, you wouldn't add color if you just wanted pure light, right? The purpose of stained glass is actually to limit the light. What? Again, this seems rather inefficient, doesn't it? But it's, the purpose of stained glass is to constrain and limit light and to do so by telling a beautiful story. And this is what you see in Jesus coming to earth. Humility and constraint. The glory and radiance and beauty and light of God severely constrained in order that we could see this beautiful picture in all its colors. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to, that he had to cling, sorry, that's a pretty far away, cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, that pure, radiant light, and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. You would almost think of glass sometimes, stained glass as being dirty glass. It's not pure. It's been stained. Instead, oh, he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious, radiant, shining honor of God, the Father. Through this staining, there is something glorious that shines through. We don't even notice a plain window. We notice what's outside. And God could do that. God could do direct revelation from the outside to us. But he chooses a staining because that will show something else, something beautiful. Now these are images that are made with scrap glass. I think parts of them are like parts of broken glasses. I see some jewelry in there, um, different things. Someone made these beautiful pieces out of scrap glass. So the question that I asked right at the beginning, why does God send messengers, this inefficient uh, way of communicating with us? Why would God do that? And I think it tells us something really important about God, that God is not interested in efficiency as much as he is interested in relationship. So I could just trans-mind meld Elena right now and it would freak her out a bit, but we could do that. And she would just instantly receive my thoughts. Or I could go out and have coffee with her every week for a year, and we could talk. What 
would be built in that process that would not be built in the instant mind melt. Relationship, a love for each other, a closeness in just walking with each other over a period of time through the highs and the lows, winter and summer, we would build something. And this is what God said. God said, I could just be myself, be glorious, don't need anybody else. But God says, I myself am a community. I am a relationship. I am a father. I am a son. I am a spirit of love between the father and the son. And when I relate to the world, to the creation, to humanity, I could do it directly or I could do it, have them do it through each other. Remember this beautiful through word. Through each other, they could relate and show each other the beauty of God. Every single one of these stained glass pieces, if they look at each other, if I hold Elena up to the light, I see Jesus shining through her. Hopefully if she holds me up to the light, she sees the same thing, even on a bad day. And that's our challenge sometimes with people that we don't like, that are our enemies, our arch enemies. We're not holding them up to the light. If we held them up to the light, somehow in that filthy, stained piece of glass, we would see the light of Jesus, the creator, shining through. And then we would go through that instead of getting stuck at the dirty part. So why does God send messengers? Because it means we all have to look at each other. Looking through. Interesting thing about stained glass. You go and walk around the outside of a church and you go, I, I, yeah, that looks like stained glass windows. You can't really see any of the beauty of the stained glass until you go inside the church, right? And why is that? <laughs> exactly. Because you're not facing the light. So if we're not facing the light, we actually can't see these beautiful things. It just looks dark and kind of muddy, and you're going, I can kind of see that looks maybe reddish, maybe blue. But if you face the light, suddenly the colors pop, and you go, yes, wow, I didn't see this before. This is beautiful. So how do we testify to the light? I think one of the first things we do is we turn ourselves to the light so we can actually see the light. If I didn't have that there to see, and this was just behind me, it'd be hard for me to testify and witness. I mean, my memory's kind of good some days. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly in my brain. But it'd be hard for me to witness to that because I'm not looking at it. I'm not turned towards it. Whereas when I'm turned towards it, Yes, it's all very present. I can see it. I can let it in. I can let it out. But we have to turn towards the light. And this is why I started everything with a confession, because I thought, I want to be transparent. I want to start with, the first thing we do is not look at me, though I know we're all kind of facing this way. The first thing I want to do is say, Please look through me. There is a greater light that I am pointing to. He is in this room. His name is Jesus, and he's here to shine on all of us. So the first thing I started with 
was say, look through me. And the second thing we do is we hold all the rest of life up to the light as well. Because otherwise we're not truly seeing what it is. We can't testify about what is happening on in, on in the world. And there's a lot of stuff happening in the world right now. We cannot give a good testimony to what is really happening if we don't hold that up to the light and say, God, shine through this. Because it just looks a little dark and muddy right now. Turn towards the light. Hold that up and say, ah, there's the light of Jesus. There it is. There came a man commissioned and sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe in Christ the light through him. John was not the light, but came to testify about the light. There it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. That's my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for the city of Montreal, that we would be enlightened. When people look at us, they see Jesus. And that when we look at people, we see Jesus as well. Jesus everywhere. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.